Hello and welcome to Only Fools and Brotherly Forces, the Only Fools and Horses rewatch podcast with me, Bobby, and as always, my brother, Jamie. Good evening, Jamie. Good evening, Bobba Jobba Lobba. I don't know why I said that, but I did. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, mate. How are you? Uh, not bad, mate. Not bad at all. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the weather, but the weather's muggy today, so still warm. Good. <laughs> it's been um, absolutely pissing it down with rain for the last week <laughs> over here. The summer has officially ended. <laughs> Whether it will make a return is very much up for debate. Nice. Uh, so we're both on the whiskeys today. I don't think we've drunk whiskey together on a pod for a while. It has been a long time. Yeah, I've been very painfully trying to finish off this terrible bottle I've had for about a year. Uh, I've had a couple in between, but I was just determined to get through this one before I finally went out and bought another decent one, which I have. So, yeah, ha- happy man. Little something I noticed. This is like hugely belated, but uh, I'm going to talk about it anyway because I only figured it out. Do you know how many episodes of Any Fools and Horses there is? <laughs> no way. I had this exact same point to make. No, really? Yeah, really. Oh. <laughs> well, okay. So you know how many there is. There's 64. Yeah, 64. And 32 was at the start of the series, which we completely missed the halfway point for. Yeah, very unceremoniously passed our halfway house about a month ago. That's that's funny that we both had that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it came up. Maybe we were talking to Rich about it or something. Uh, no, I was talking to the missus about it, just thinking about, you know, we've been going for a while now. And I was thinking, oh, how long have we been going? Well, we released once a week. I saw we'd released, you know, 35, 36 episodes. So uh, I was like, wait a minute, how many more are there to go? Wait a minute, we're over halfway. So, yeah, we have passed the halfway house. Well done, us. <laughs> I guess it, it, this might end up being a halfway episode because we do we if we do more two-parters, then uh, we could end up having 70 episodes rather than or 72 episodes rather than 64. So you never know. We could have both had this premonition because this is our halfway episode. Wouldn't that be funny? That would be... I mean, amusing. Yeah, funny yeah. would be a stretch. <laughs> yeah. It would be uh, amusing. Are you a Gemini? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, past the halfway point, um, I mean, theoretically, that means there's... What, only 28 episodes left, which doesn't sound like that much when you look at it like that. No, although combined time sort of totalage of TV is probably more than what we've already had. So there, there's still a lot to come. But mm. yeah, we've we've certainly can no longer say we're in the early days. We're very much in the the middle age of our of our Only Fools and Horses podcast. Excellent. So, uh, so yeah, this episode, uh, Video Nasty... Um, I probably didn't remember too much about it prior to actually sticking it on. There are a few bits that I had in my head, but I don't know why. I just missed some of the the substance, the substance of the episode in my brain. But it, it came back really quickly as soon as I put it on. Yeah, I think I remembered the video nasty bits because of the title, of course. Uh, but the main actual A story of the entire episode... I think I thought it was another episode. I wasn't expecting it at all. I was really surprised. I was like, oh, oh, it's that episode. It was mm. very much my, you know, my thoughts about two minutes into the episode. And uh, just for the uh, the viewers at home, uh, Mum just came in and gave Bobby a bit of a, a what for having a go, saying that it wasn't Dynasty that she watched um, recently, but uh, Dallas instead. And she said she didn't want to be. Uh, you know, people take what did she say? She didn't want to be a sadder or people taking the piss out of her or something? I don't know. <laughs> I mean the fact that she thinks there's a difference to ninety nine percent of the world between watching Dallas five years ago and watching Dynasty two years ago, I I have no idea. As far as I'm concerned, they are one and the same thing. But the record has been put straight. I hope you're happy, mother. <laughs> so we're not here to talk about Dallas, we are here to talk about Only Fools, so let's get into it. We are going into series five, episode five, video nasty. Stick up on I'll fetch the suitcase from the van. So scene one, and we're in the next head. We're looking at uh, Trigger and Boise. And we we were saying about the last episode that we hadn't seen Roger Lloyd Pack in you know, quite a little while. He wasn't in almost of any of Series 4. And a little bit of a tangent straight away, but I was just curious about 
you know the wages of the actors i mean someone like dan uh well david jason nicholas lindhurst all that i mean they would obviously be making a reasonable living being the the main characters but these side characters especially someone like roger lloyd pack if he hasn't been in a series for a month you know is he earning enough in the in the first series to be able to do a living like what are they doing um anyway so i looked into it more and i didn't find any figures but the more i looked into it the more it just seemed like they didn't get paid very well at all i mean there's lots of quotes from david jason saying that they were taken advantage of or they weren't paid very well you know it, it saw them through but they weren't weren't paid very well at all so they must have been struggling a bit the the sort of side characters yeah i mean acting is famously not a particularly uh well-paid profession for 99.9 percent of the of the participants um so yeah i mean I, this is a thing i've often mentioned before when i look at old imdb pages and i see someone's just like a once a year does a small part in a tv show and i'm just curious what the hell they're doing with the rest of their life like where are they getting their money from uh is, you know is it just a hobby or is it are they just destitute and just holding up for every opportunity? I am always quite curious about that kind of thing. Um, but I think I think Roger Lloyd Pack was doing a a fair few bits here and there, but I mean he definitely wouldn't have been a a rich TV. I mean I think even now, like even like a a modern British small sitcom, they're not making a ton of money on the BBC. It's it's a gateway, isn't it? Yeah, I think that what I did seem to gather from anything that I did read was that the the BBC particularly didn't pay very well then probably a bit better now i mean john chalice said that he got he got paid enough doing green green grass for him to be able to you know have a retirement fund and he's got a nice house and everything but it by far and large paid better than all of his stuff playing boise because he was now the main character yeah yeah for sure but anyway, into the episode. So Boise and Trigger are having a little chat, and Boise's a bit down about the fact that Marlene uh, still can't have any kids. Yeah, he's clearly a very um, thoughtful modern man, and you know has his very special ways of consoling his dear lady wife. I've tried to console her. I've said, Marlene, God didn't mean you to have kids, so shut up about it. <laughs> and here, for me, we, get, we just get this brilliant comic timing from Roger Lloyd Pack. He just has this delivery and just every time it, it just is absolutely flawless. Like it just this pause and this deadpan. It's just brilliant. Yeah, I'm not sure what's more impressive is the ability to write such a small amount, being confident that it can be delivered in the way to make it funny. Like being able to write for that character must be very difficult because you you need to keep it so simple otherwise it doesn't work but then you're also giving so much trust to the actor to then be able to pull it off it's uh it's kind of like a you know trying to make a fantastic meal out of three ingredients it's you just got to get everything just right because there's nowhere to hide i think that was just one of the brilliant recipes for for only pauses success is that john sullivan's vision and writing for his characters were all brilliant and they were this super close family like you always see this stuff of them being close on set because the characters the actors were able to deliver the the vision that he had and vice versa and it was clearly just you know it was all match made in heaven they all of these side characters and the main characters were able to just uh translate what was on the page brilliantly and and john sullivan could write it for them for sure for sure the lads eventually get up, take a wander over to the bar, and we get introduced to Mickey Pierce and his uh, latest girlfriend, who's, um, you know, a, a lively-looking girl. Punky. Punky. Mm. I, I wonder how much we're supposed to love or hate Mickey Pierce, because I really, really dislike him, like, a lot. And I just don't know if that was, like, the intention of the writing for the character. Like, are you supposed to, like, love him but hate him? Are you supposed to just detest him? Or is he actually supposed to be like a lovable rogue? I think he's meant to be, and is, some of the time, that lovable, annoying friend. The, and I'm pretty sure we've, we've, we've said this exact thing on a, on a podcast before, is we've all got friends like that, which if you actually kind of wrote down on a piece of paper the good and bad things, you'd just be like, why am I friends with this person? But <laughs> the fact is, you are. They've been around a long time, and, you know, 
for some mental reason you love them. I think that's kind of Mickey Pierce for me. I think he just has no redeemable features. Like, there's nothing good about him. There's nothing to like. He's a laugh, isn't he? <laughs> and, that, and that is often enough. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but Mickey is doing this big old cockney neck thing, a bit like uh, Albert and Dell, and probably just giving it this showboating sort of gestures with his body, as it were. Tell you what I found interesting is he introduced um, the way Mike asked about the girl and Mickey spoke about her. It made it sound like this uh, this girl character Amanda was was very young, just almost like a kid, you know. Especially with the whole punk look, you'd think, okay, maybe she's uh, you know going through a a phase, a phase. Maybe she's a student. But the uh, the actress Dawn Perlman, do you know how old she was when this was made? No idea. She was thirty nine. Oh yeah, yeah. She's almost as old as David Jason. Certainly much older than than Nicholas Lindhurst. But yeah, very very strange. She was um, the only thing that's stranger than her age uh, for for the role, which I was very surprised about. Was um, her, I would I looked through her IMDb generally, and basically she didn't do anything from nineteen eighty nine. She just completely stopped until fifteen years later, just a few years ago now. She randomly has done this very amateur, no, not even low budget, no budget horror short film. Oh called, yeah, called Ready for My Close Up, of which there are trailers online. I mean, <laughs> I pff, mental. Is it Absolute. horrible? Oh, it's. It, I mean, honestly, it looks like I made it on my iPhone <laughs> with a couple of mates. It's just. It, it seems just like a load of bored middle-aged people. Like she seems lovely, but um, I, I mean, I don't know. It must have been a, a bet for a mate or something. Is she starring in it or what? Yeah, yeah, she's the main character in it. All right, okay. Very <laughs> odd. So Rodney wanders in in his iconic camo jacket. Did, do you know I've got one of these, almost identical? Have you ever seen me in it? I think so. I think I've seen pictures. Yeah, I, I got it in uh, New Zealand. It's an ex-army, um, I got it in an army surplus store. Yeah, you always, you actually, I have seen it because you always bring it with you when you're in Norway. Yeah, I thought I'd worn it in Norway a couple of times. It's a good jacket. But yeah, uh, good to see him back in that. He's been a bit smarter recently, but he's going back to classic Rodney. And actually, I, I touch on that a bit later. I think there's quite a few returns to classic Rodney, but I'll, I'll bring that up at the time. But Rodney's talking about this evening class, which was a little bit weird, because I don't think it's ever come up before. This is the first time, as far as I know, mm. that he's talked about his evening class. Later on, we know that he does a computer evening class, and that's where he meets Cassandra. But this is like an art evening class, and I, I don't, I don't recall if we get a lot more references to this as we move on or not. But it's a bit weird that he kind of did the art one and then does the computer one, and I don't know. Maybe it's referenced more, maybe it isn't. But he's he's clearly trying to make something, isn't he? I think the art one sounds like a hobby, even though it's an evening class, but they do, as Mickey says, like life drawing and, you know, this thing now with the film. So that it's to me that sounds like a hobby where I think the computer evening class later, there's tests involved and it's for a qualification because, uh, you know, he realizes he actually needs a proper job one day. So I, I get the feeling that this is, although it's called an art class, I get the feeling it's basically a hobby. Fair enough. So Rodney's been telling Mickey, as part of this evening art class, that they've been given a grant to make a small local film, and Rodney, of all people, has been basically put in charge. He is the ideas man. Yeah, I think very quickly it gets established that Mickey becomes highly involved in it, which, as a first act as whatever position he is, head of film, is a terrible decision. Yeah, I mean... I just don't. This is the, the without doubt one of the most unbelievable things that's happened in the last four, four or five episodes. <laughs> is, is the idea that Rodney has an art evening class? They've been given a lot, a ten thousand pounds, which is a decent amount of money at the time, to make a small local film. And someone said, "Who should we put in charge?" That muppet over there. Like it just seems insane that anyone would trust Rodney with this. Yeah, I, I think we never really. Uh, certainly, we haven't very much now. We haven't seen Rodney on his own interacting with other people. He's either getting belittled by Dell or he's getting, you know, he he is the undercard or whatever you want to call it to to everything that's going on. But independently, he he is 
capable of. Um, if you could, if you can think of anything that he's capable of, then <laughs> I'd be impressed. <laughs> he's capable of uh, appearing intellectual, like, and and there have been suggestions of it. He's been transitioning into this like slightly more intellectual person than he has been in the first few episodes. So maybe they just uh, saw you know that that artistic eye in him that he does or doesn't really have. Cause if you want the best but you don't ask questions then brother I'm your man. Del enters in a bit of a huff and he's a bit annoyed at Albert for uh, for whatever reason. Um but there's two great things that really happen here. Uh one is the speed in which Del gets a pint. So he he literally <laughs> has got to the bar and not even leaned on it yet, and Mike has managed to slam down a pint of what looks like a bitter. Um, so commending the barman on Good their man. skills. I, I also have a problem. I, I never used to drink. I used to go to the local quite a lot, but I'd never drink the same thing. So I, I could never really do that whole the usual thing very often. But it, when I did work in a bar, it's something I always used to do. Like you see a matey coming in across the window and you start getting the pint for them comes in just like sneakily but over the top of the bar so, you know gets you a few a few points yeah yeah it's always a nice thing to do that is someone who's uh paying attention and the second great thing that happens here is um dell just further showing his eye for a deal and how through no limit of loose connections can manage to find a way to make money Hello, Del. What's your what you having? What am I having? Bleeding hard time with this little moaner here. I shouldn't be up in bales of hay or out at my time of life. Bales of hay? You see, Abdul's cousin's girlfriend's brother's mate's mate, right? He's a gamekeeper down at one of them private zoos. And Monkey Harris's sister's husband's first wife's stepfather, right? He works for an animal food company. So put the two together, what you got? Nice little learner. Yeah, that is an awesome quote. I really enjoyed that. Just the uh, the idea of make, being able to make connections through, like, you know, points of sick separation like kevin bacon style like everyone he can connect everyone if it'll make him a couple of quid um but rodney has essentially announced to everyone that he's been commissioned to make this film and basically everyone just takes the piss out of him um for for his book the indictment which sounds terrible and and everyone just thinks it's hilarious that he's been given that opportunity a bit like you bob uh, yeah, and I agree with all of them. I think it's the perfect reaction, and it's what makes the whole thing, the rest of it, kind of believable, <laughs> is that everyone else found it unbelievable. I mean, when Trigger takes the piss, you know you're, you know you're really out of, out of your depth, don't you? Um, it's, uh, I, there was another little uh, catch I had here, though, that I wanted to mention, which was um, Rodney, in defence of his uh, previous attempt at uh, screenwriting, The Indictment, he says uh, it didn't quite have the cultural impact of Kathy Come Home. Oh, yeah. I happened to see, searching through the internet last night, that um, apparently Leonard Pierce was in Kathy Come Home. Oh, really? Yeah, so a little connection there. Oh, right. I don't know anything about Kathy Come Home. I know literally nothing about it, except for the fact that it's mentioned here and Leonard Pierce was in it. But that's enough to make the connection. So, next scene, and we go back to the flat. Not back to the flat. And we go to the flat. And Rodney is just staring into space. Clearly, just I mean, we could call it writer's block, but I mean, we'll, we'll just call it stupidity. Um, he, he finally has this idea, scribbles it down, and then instantly puts lines through it. Yeah, it's the oldest cliche in the world, isn't it? Having a cutscene to a writer sort of surrounded by scrawled up pieces of paper and crossing out his own notes. It's uh, a trope as old as time. And Dell comes in, and he's got a little present for for Rodney. We've got a big present. Wait up there, here are Oscar, here are Quick. Come on here, come on here. Got a present for you. Here you are. What is it? Come on here. Close your eyes. Oh come on, Dell. What is it? I can't close your eyes. And I love this. There is something something about this, uh, and it's just brilliant. It's a it's a really proper thoughtful gift from Dell. I mean, it is mm. shit, but. Nevertheless, it is thoughtful. Yeah, I mean, it's thoroughly unuser-friendly, we find out. I mean, it barely works. By barely works, I mean, it doesn't work, essentially. But, yeah, it is very thoughtful. I mean, have you? I've, it looks beautiful. Have you ever used a typewriter? Yeah, I, well, not, not I haven't used one, like, used one, but I've certainly pressed a few buttons on one. Yeah, I think there was one time I used 
we were staying at someone's house when we were teenagers and someone had a electronic typewriter so one that was a bit more modern and fancy but was still essentially a very old piece of kit but uh yeah they are very very romantic um but i mean bloody noisy and a pain in the ass i'm sure yeah i think you you need like arnold schwarzenegger fingers i think to be able to type on them like it's in that thing in family guy when the guy and he's doing reps and his fingers have got like uh, a six pack like you need fingers like that to type <laughs> on them certainly this one you do it's it's funny we we talk, wonder about like just how old it is because it looks ancient and uh it's got victoria regina written on it which means it's bloody old. I mean, talking almost 100 years old, this typewriter is does it insane. Def- does that definitely mean that it's that old then, yeah? Well, if it's got Victoria Regina, that means she was alive and she died in 1901. So, yeah, that's uh, that's old. So I, I did actually have a quick look as to when typewriters were invented. And they were invented in 1874 but and then were popularized in in the 1880s so i mean this is from probably the 1880s or 1890s it is a a 90 year old typewriter that he's got him there no way i didn't realize Which is pretty badass yeah i, I don't i didn't think typewriters would have been around that long i don't know how long they were used up until i guess they were they were still used until maybe even 30 years ago or, or maybe 40 years ago they still used them in you know before computers came along yeah, I've seen them being used in things in the 60s and maybe the 70s. I guess in the 70s, people were still using typewriters. Maybe slightly more modern ones, but essentially the same technology. Um, but Dale shows him how to give it a good old whack. And uh, he had a story idea which Rodney shot down, but then eventually he admits that he's basically got nothing. So Dell again, is being pretty helpful and not only giving him a typewriter, but offering a story and it just feels like we're getting a bit of a return to ungrateful Rodney really I mean he's going to give him this great opportunity Dale's brought him a typewriter he's even offering him a, a bit of a story and he's just being all soppy about it and ungrateful and this is what I was talking about as like a return to old Rodney like just being a ungrateful moody git yeah I mean we Dale has been incredibly thoughtful and helpful here and um, I mean, he may have some ulterior motives, as he always does, but he, he is being very helpful. The one thing that was more mature from Rodney is after throwing a bit of a, a wobbly, he does then turn around to Dell and very humbly say, you know, I do actually really need your help. Please do tell me your idea, uh, which is some level of growth. I mean, he didn't go and hide in a, you know, an attic or under the bed or <laughs> run away to a doss house in Stoke Newington. And and this is going to be one of the, the famously hard bits that's very hard to quote because it's just a whole story. And this is, this is there's a rhino loose in the city. And Dale goes through this brilliant story. Uh, it, and it lasts a little while before uh, Rodney just starts bringing up all these questions. But there is one bit and his reaction to it initially is brilliant. It's called, There's a Rhino Loose in the City. <laughs> There's a rhino loose in the... As in rhinoceros. That's right. There's a rhino loose in the city. What's it about, Bill? <laughs> Nicholas and his, his facial expressions here are just on point. They're so funny. I love... Or everyone does it, really, but, but certainly Rodney and Dell, but Nicholas has just... The way that they can make you laugh just from their face so good. It this whole exchange is, you know, a real, uh, a real classic moment. It's very good. It'd be a very fun thing to, you know, to show any Only Fools and Horses fan would look back at this scene with big smiles. It is, it is mental. The story. I mean, we got to, we got to talk about the story. It's essentially, uh, it's like a nineteen eighties answer to Sharknado. Well, I actually was going to say that. In this day and age, it would probably work great. I mean, with Snakes on a Plane, Sharknado, all that sorts of types of films, this is probably like, you know, prime real estate for film these days. It could definitely be made. I think, I mean, Rodney pokes many, many very justifiable holes in the story. (laughs) However, without doubt, the biggest one has to be the fact that Rhino's a vegetarian. (laughs) I mean, that just kills it straight away, doesn't it? 
Well, they could still kill people, just not to eat them. Yeah, what? Just kill them out of fear. I think the vampire rhino is actually the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of possessed where rhino was was actually where, probably where the direction this should have gone. But this this whole bit is probably the, the the funniest bit, and I was properly laughing out loud. And I was thinking during this bit that you you just have to remember when we're analysing. You know, we have to take try and take moments to enjoy it, but. But this is one of the moments, and to coin a phrase that I'll probably use again, this is a real pen down moment for me. You know, when it started, uh, and I, I just knew how long it was going to go on. I knew I couldn't quote all of it. I just thought, screw it, put the pen down, and I just took, you know, the the minute or two for this this bit to go past, and and just enjoyed it because it it was so funny and I just not going to try and overanalyze something. And I just sat back and appreciated the genius of the moment. I think the scene is very well summed up um, right at the end by Rodney as uh, he tries to amalgamate the many issues that he has with the narrative. Who done it? What do you mean who done it? <laughs> we know who done it. The rhino done it. I know that we, we the audience, right? We know that, but they don't know the actors, do they? Well, this is something. A rhinoceros has escaped from the zoo. There are 300 dead bodies covered in rhinoceros footprints. There's a lock up garage two and a half foot deep in rhinoceros crap, and Charlton Heston suspects the butler. So it turns out the one reason for the whole rhino story is because Dell knows somewhere where he can get a rhino. Or he, he says, uh, I know where there's a rhino going cheap. I don't know if that means like a really bad model rhino or if someone's actually flogging a rhino like Tiger King no, but it, Rhino King um, or what? It's his mate who's the zookeeper. They set it up at the start of the episode. Uh, They're going to borrow a rhino from the zoo. Is that what it is? That is a legitimate yeah. rhino? It is a legitimate rhino because they say at the start he's his mate's brother's whatever's friend's mother is a gamekeeper as a, 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 he says a zoo or a country park or something but that that's definitely the uh the connection i didn't make that connection can you imagine Dan rodney trying to make well mostly rodney trying to make a film <laughs> with an actual untrained rhino <laughs> i mean you, you say untrained like there'd be a trained option that they haven't gone for like that was the upgrade <laughs> they, they, they cho- chose not to take so scene three, and we get a very British setting. We're in inside a Chinese takeaway, and Dell's just got his claws in straight away. He is. Uh, we find out very quickly that Dell has basically been touting touting Mickey out for business and doing all sorts of functions. I don't believe you're doing this to me. What look? Rodney, that, that Mickey Pierce, he's got to practice with that camera, hasn't he? You know, he's got to work out how to focus it and all that. You know, it's why not earn while you learn? That's what I say. Anyway, Boise, he nicks all them tapes from Boise, doesn't he, eh? But, Dale, this is an opportunity for me, and all you're doing is making money out of it. Look, it'll be all right, because he's only got five or six weddings to do. Two or three christenings, and he's finished. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Rodney is slightly understandably furious, because they're essentially making money out of you know, uh, council equipment that has been loaned to them in good faith. However, yeah, Dell's got a point. Mickey's got to, got to, you know, get his hands on all the equipment. And why not earn while you learn is a great expression. And I'm amazed <laughs> that some like government um, apprenticeship scheme has not taken that on. Like with David Jason saying it, <laughs> how is that not on every apprenticeship poster in Britain the year after? I'm pretty sure that, that is. Uh... It is a saying that's been used before, but for for sure it's been uh, brilliantly coined by Dale there. Yeah, the delivery. We get Rodney being his uh, higher, holier than thou self and complaining, but he still happens to take the money. Um, so he hasn't, always takes the money. Hasn't lost his core features there. <laughs> and uh, Boise and Marlene coincidentally walk in, and they're having a bit of an argument about the whole kids thing. And it doesn't take long before. Marlene basically very undelicately spills the fact that 
she's actually not got a problem, but it's Boise. See what you've started now, Marlene? Even the doctors ain't allowed to discuss this outside the confines of the laboratory, and you're holding a public debate in a Chinese takeaway. <laughs> He's got what doctors call a low count. <laughs> Don't want to buy a calculator, do you, boy? <laughs> What's it mean? Nothing. It means he's been firing more blanks than the Territorials. Uh, but through all this, Rodney somehow seems to think that the whole artificial insemination is, is a good idea for a film, which I don't. I mean, maybe at the time it was still something fairly new. I mean, it could be the interesting idea for a film, but I mean, not this film. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely there, there've been interesting films made, artistic films made about people's desperation to conceive children, and IVF and all sorts of things. So one of the things that I do always read because it's in some of the research is the the goofs as it's referred to or production errors, um, and I, I look out for them. I think I've said before, very rarely ever mention them, but. One of the things that they said here is that uh, you can see the boom mic in this scene as as Dale comes out for getting ready. And honestly, I don't know how people notice them. Like, looking for it, knowing it was there, it is not even a second of the the very, very tip, maybe two centimetres worth of a little tiny bit in the top right-hand corner that frankly could be anything, is probably the boom mic. But it, it literally <laughs> is there and gone in a tenth of a second. I was like, how does someone just spot that and go, oh, that's a goof, stick that on IMDB or whatever it might be? And I was like, oh, I always sit there expecting to see like the whole microphone just drop down or something. <laughs> Never happens. It's always like this tiny nipple, this tiny little thing that comes in. That's like, ah, yeah, that's not even mentionable. I mean, I have mentioned it, but... <laughs> so as Dale comes in he starts basically talking about all the new clever ways he's found to make money out of this project of Rodney's he's uh, managed to go around making people agree to pay to be in the movie which is very clever and all sorts of illegal I'm sure there's lots of actors unions freaking right out and uh, also got managed to get a nice long list of sponsors as well yeah this is returning to what I was saying a few weeks ago in uh, the miracle of Peckham, see what I did there um, about Dell just doing PR and uh, whatever you want to call it. You know, Rodney was saying there wasn't much to budget, but Dell's out there earning, I'm sure, hundreds and hundreds from these actors and businesses willing to sponsor. Not that any of it is going to get reinvested into the film, but still, you know, he, he's doing it again. He is like herding all of this stuff. Uh, it's just. It's just brilliant. He he should just find some sort of career in this. He would make a mint. Yeah, you do wonder how much money he could make if he just went straight. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the one bit here which really kind of twisted me up a bit, he was talking about how Mickey was doing all these other, um, you know, camera engagements and stuff. And then he says something about uh, what is a natural birth. And when I first when he first said it, I was like, what's that got to do with anything? And it genuinely took me about 30 seconds before I was like... Oh, because Mickey's going to film one. Oh, don't want him to do that. Oh, wow. That's what it was. Someone had offered for him to film a natural birth. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to watch that or film it or be a part of it. I imagine Mickey definitely doesn't. So <laughs> uh, I, I can't see him agreeing to that one. Uh, but Dale pops out and... Um... We get Mickey knocking at the door and he has somehow decided that the Trotter's flat is a good place to shoot a porno. I mean, this whole thing is mental. I mean, Mickey's clearly loving this whole arrangement. Dell's making him an absolute fortune. He's fully on board with selling out. He knows all about the sponsors. He's got no issues with it. But yeah, this, uh, this idea here is just mad. Absolutely mad. He sneaks in his friend, Amanda, who is... Uh, very quickly takes off her jacket to reveal a nurse's uniform. Uh, to flash back to a previous point I made, the part she plays in this 2018 short is actually one of a nurse. <laughs> and also online I found from uh, the Only Fools and Horses convention in 2018, Dawn, per uh, Dawn Perlman and Patrick Murray actually recreate this scene 
on a on a fake set, which was quite fun to watch. It's funny now you say that. I think I remember seeing a photo either of those two together or something like when they were much older. But yeah, Rodney finds out that that something's going on, and he heads to the kitchen to have a little bit of a breakdown. What's happening? What the bloody hell is happening? I've got a cast of thousands. I've got more advertising than Pearl and Dean. <laughs> and now I think he wants to make Emmanuel in Peckham. Oh, this is a bloody nightmare. <laughs> now, Rodney, Rodney, calm down. Calm down. Deep breaths. Nice Not and this. easy, does it? Take one. <laughs> Mickey rather unsubtly shouts, Night Nurse, take one. And Rodney comes back outside and we see... Uh, this chick's arm jingle jangling her bra out. Pornography's obviously come quite a lot of way since the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> go on, say something. Anything. No, no, I, I didn't really know how to start. <laughs> there, there's a very clever little cutscene here, which I quite like. It's the director, as they occasionally do in Only Fools, just having a bit of fun because they can. This cut between. Mickey directing the the pawn back in the Trotter's flat to directing the group in the bar who are all there celebrating Boise and Marlene's, is it 20th? Some anniversary, yeah. Yeah, 20th wedding anniversary, something like that. That's a bit of fun. I enjoyed that. Then there's another little exchange between uh, Del and Rodney. Del's got even more money he's making for him, of which Rodney reluctantly accepts again bit of a sneaky exchange this one as well they like got their shoulders together and Rodney's having a little look around like he's he's trying to keep it on the down low it's like yeah, a drug yeah, deal it is very much that sort of dodgy illegal deal going on there so Rodney's in a, a world of bother everyone's given him a bit of hassle about wanting to be in his film and chucking a few quotes out there and, and he is uh, trying to be a bit tactful about what uh, the reasons for Boise and Marlene having a problem uh, with conception. I married the happy couple all those years ago. Of course, I had hoped by now that the good Lord would have blessed their union with an offspring or two. <laughs> but if it's not to be... Well, I'd heard that because of the precarious state of the world, Boise and Marlene had decided against starting a family. Oh, really? I heard that Boise was a Jaffa. <laughs> Do you remember the piece of trivia we used in a previous episode about the vicar? I didn't remember that you'd said that before, but I did also, But I did read that he was in the previous one. Did you see what episode? Yeah, it's uh, the one with the lawnmower engines. What is it? That's Home? the one. Not Homeward? Homecoming? Homeward Bound or something? It's funny that you can't think of it, because I actually had to look it up as well, because for some reason that one episode title just completely skipped my don't mind. Don't tell me, don't tell me. Healthy competition? Correct. Yeah, baby. He, do you remember who he played? Hmm. The auctioneer. The foreman. Oh. So he's oh. not the auctioneer, he's the guy outside who then laughs at them for having bought the engines. Oh, I thought... Yeah, the trivia I said I read said the auctioneer. Yeah, that's that was wrong. I also read that piece of trivia and that person was wrong. Oh. <laughs> Stupid people making wrong, wrong trivia. In it. Yeah, you got to read the you you got to read the um the comments you see on the when you get the, you get the list of trivia there'll often be comments where people point out what trivia is wrong <laughs> and often even more interesting trivia. <laughs> I never read the comments on anything ever. <laughs> I hate the comments. There's too many stupid people frequenting the comments. By the way, feel free to comment on all the links. Please comment. <laughs> So yeah, Rex Robinson is his name. He was the foreman in Healthy Competition. Um, yeah, very successful TV actor. Lived to a ripe old age of eighty-nine. Is that a new thing? You're just going to give everyone length of life as a. I actually wrote more, but I've discovered that it's all boring, <laughs> and I'm going to leave it there. So yeah, we get a couple of good quotes. So. Uh... Mike's come on, and I can't remember what it is. It's like a Clint Eastwood quote or one of those sort of old school. It's Casablanca. Casablanca. And then we get Trigger. He comes out with a good one. Trigger's one is really interesting because um, it is. Uh, you, you find it in a lot of discussion boards and articles as one of the most misquoted lines kind of of film. 
Oh, yeah. uh, because what what he says is you dirty rat. You dirty rat. However, James Cagney never actually says you dirty rat. Um, it's in the film Taxi, and uh, there's a, it's a it's a longer quote. It's like you yellow belly dirty rat. He he never actually says the phrase you dirty rat to anyone in any film. And the one film that people thinks he says it in is actually a slightly more embellished quote. So it's a, it's a it's a com- it's a common misquote. Slightly more interesting than the. Uh, I mean, quite a lot story. more interesting, but admittedly still not fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so they decide to go onto the back room and have a bit of a, a boys' moment, which so I don't weird. know. It, it seemed really weird to do this on an anniversary, but nevertheless, it, it's going ahead. And Boise's in front of everyone. Uh, ready to announce one of his uh, latest productions. Right now, the voice of video and leisure arts company is proud to present the British premiere of Night Nurse. Yeah, it's a pretty odd scene. They're all sitting around a table, getting ready to watch a dirty movie. I think uh, not even just on your anniversary, but just in general, this is weird. Like you said, times have changed. Yeah, just when I think about it, my initial reaction to that was, no, it's not that weird. And then I put myself in a situation where I was in an anniversary and then all me and my friends went into a room and watched some sort of softcore porn. And I was like, yeah, that actually would be quite weird. (laughs) I think even take away the anniversary, just any time, you know, you and your mates are having drinks, someone just goes, I know what, that's... But then, uh, but if one of my friends, if one of my very good friends had actually produced it and or filmed it, then it would actually be quite fun. Like, wait, look what I've done. You'd be like, no, Wee. that's true. Yeah, I get fair enough. If someone was involved in production, that would make it, that would provide enough novelty. I think that might explain all of it, to be fair. I think it's because I looked at it back in, you know, back in the day they had like, um, you know, movies where you could go and see a dirty movie in a, in a cinema and like that, it's just a concept, it's just mental. And I kind of put it in that bracket. But I didn't think of it as this is something he's produced. And so it's kind of like a fun premiere. That puts in a slightly different light and <laughs> makes it premiere. slightly slightly less weird. Yeah, I think it makes it a lot less weird. Um, but the, the, the film itself, if we can call it a film, um, it, it's a very slow pan. And it's so clearly the trotter's flat. I mean, it's if it was like a really tight shot where you didn't see a lot, then it would be fine. But you can literally see the chair and the bar and the curtains and the window and the wallpaper. Is there's, there's no getting the paintings around on the wall? And yet, Del, Del and Rodney are both sat there grinning ear to ear, still not making the connection that it's clearly their house. Uh, no, at this point, Rodney is aware as soon as Boise says night nurse. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Del certainly isn't. I mean, Boise and Trick, they've all been there. It's, it's, it is it is completely mental. The only thing more mental than Del not recognising his own house is that this movie still got made and shown. Like, what happens... I, don't, I want to know what happened in real life. Like, is... After Rodney runs out screaming at Mickey for making the film, does he then hang in the kitchen? Mickey then carries on making the film, and then they're like, boom, that's a film, and it's got this funny weird bit in the middle. In which case, they make it anyway, fair enough. I don't know, it's so odd. I don't know what happens. I'm not really sure where you're going with it, but either way, it is odd. So odd that someone somewhere handed a t- like Mickey even, handed this tape to Boise and went, this is solid, this. <laughs> but Mickey probably did think it was solid. Remember, he has no redeeming features. <laughs> but he's the one who's driving me berserk. Why do only fools and horses work for la 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 la? La 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 And we get a very uh, quick cut here. Um, and Dell is properly livid. And at first, I was like, "Why? Why would you be that angry?" I mean, he's only used your your flat to film a bit of, you know, boob action. But then I very quickly realised why, and it's because we get the first mention of the Driscoll brothers, who are uh, alluded to be partners in this scheme with uh, with Boise. And and very early, we get this scene set that they are not to be messed with. 
Yeah, it's 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 a that's a real classic cliche, isn't it? Like mentioning uh, just a last name and brothers, like the Cray twins or whatever. Like it's uh, it it really summons an, an image, and uh, it's very nicely done. I think uh, from 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 some of the the groups and the forums and stuff, one of the things that that I've seen mentioned a couple of times is, you know, who was Dell scared of or who was Dell fearful of, and and one of the things people have commented on is that the only people he ever really shows fear of is the the Driscoll brothers. They are almost the only nemesis that he has where he is properly fearful of them. So this this kind of is setting up that idea and it's it's probably not a a, a bad observation. Yeah, I think I, I would at this point, because you, if you're watching it for the first time, obviously haven't seen them yet, I'm trying to separate myself from the Driscolls you eventually meet and uh, yeah it's, it's definitely an ominous, ominous image and Dad is clearly genuinely very concerned and says you know like no <laughs> says they'll remove or sort of kneecap Rodney given <laughs> half a chance so you know serious business but then um, of course we've always got to end on a laugh and we do as Mickey turns up with a, a consortium of <laughs> adult entertainment uh, wannabe stars little porn entourage oh, much better put <laughs> <laughs> and yeah Rodney very unsubtly sort of welcomes Mickey into the room so Del can hear and, and Del comes out with this whole tape all around him all of the film all around him and I just thought like I don't really ha- don't know how many actually young people let's say teenagers and younger would watch this obviously that they play it on gold and and it's still around now and i'm sure there's some 50 60 year old parents with kids showing it to the young kids or whatever but um what do they think about this analog method of watching and filming things i remember seeing a video on facebook recently and it was uh kids like trying to turn on a a computer i think it was like a windows yeah. 95 and they just don't know where to start and they can't even find the power on button and it is funny like that transition of technology i love technology i'm I'm always trying to keep as switched on as i can i think i've said it before and and try and keep up with it but you know the things that we were thought were old when we were kids whether it's i don't know vinyl although that that still is still used to a certain extent but yeah kind of they tried to kill it off but then it just managed to hold on and come back more like gramophones and stuff like that i guess and and the stuff that is properly old school it's funny to think that it's funny how age just works and and now things that seem nostalgic like cassette players and all that sort of stuff to us is is now so obsolete and so archaic to the younger generation it it is fun a little bit getting old there is some really cool stuff (laughs) yeah those those kids react videos are always uh, a very good chuckle and uh, I mean this whole episode it's called Video Nasty I was constantly thinking about the the Young Ones episode that we, we mentioned previously that was about the fact that the the guys all get a they they rent a video player and it's like a massive event <laughs> and that is i remember watching that as a kid and just thinking that was crazy that they had to rent a vhs player and that was just such a big deal like that's that's the quote throughout the entire episode is oh we've got a video <laughs> and, uh, you know that's just not that long ago really you know about 40 years it's gone from amazing to have in the room to having been obsolete for what ten years? More was the last time? I mean, yeah, it's been this. It got superseded probably twenty years ago, maybe yeah, about twenty years ago. But I mean, how long since VHS has became properly obsolete? Yeah, probably ten, fifteen, I guess. I remember my um, missus' uh, family every year. They have uh, they get together with their young nieces and they watch um, the Grinch. And it's a very special version of The Grinch because it has uh, Norwegian audio. So it's great for watching with their, their young nieces. And they have tried as hard as they can. They've like emailed 
like Disney directly and everything to try and get a DVD or or sort of digital copy of The Grinch with this Norwegian audio, and you just can't get it. It doesn't exist. I can do so that. for years. Huh? I can do. I can do that for them. What extract it off a VHS tape? Yeah, yeah. I can extract it and then overlay it over a digital version. No worries. The thing is, every year they have to bring down a VHS player from the loft and then put in this 30-year-old VHS, which is now completely destroyed. Because, of course, that's what happened with VHSs. They deteriorated, especially when they were played a lot. Mm. And this is played a couple of times a year. So it's horrific to watch. (laughs) You can almost not see anything. The sound is almost as bad. It's just muffled and messy and terrible. And uh, it's just crazy how uh, how that technology has aged. It's a bit of a personal challenge there. I'll see if I can create something for them. I'm sure that there must be that audio file somewhere. And if I can find the audio file, then I will be able to create it for them. Otherwise, you could extract it from the uh, video. But the audio, I guess, might be pretty pretty poor by now. Yeah, you could. Yeah, just the quality would be absolutely horrific. Because the quality of the VHS now is so deteriorated. Mm. Um, but Dell chases out uh, the aspiring young adult actors. And um, Rodney gets a phone call and it's Mr. Stevens. And uh, Rodney's asking for a pretty honest breakdown of what he thinks of the film. And it sounds like his honest breakdown is that he thought it was pretty shit. Um, and I have no idea how this conversation goes that ends on how it ends, but we we can speculate maybe later. But this is this is the end of the the episode. Yeah, well, that's that's truthfully blunt, isn't it, Mister Stevens? <laughs> yeah. Yes, there are a lot of characters in it. Yes, but all vital to the theme. I thought. Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to write a film that not only dealt with the contemporary issues, but also challenged some of the more widely held beliefs of modern youth. <laughs> no, that's no problem, cos my brother knows where he can get us a rhino. Yeah! <laughs> OK, so, so we, we've, this is something that we do do every now and then, and we do go off mic and we do go off pod because... One of us has either messed up or we have uh, a difference in opinion on something. And sometimes it's just one of us being stupid and the other one saying, no, no, you're being stupid. Um, And then one of us going, oh, yes, I am being stupid or whatever it might be. But this is the first time that we're ever openly going off mic and then back on mic because we have two wildly different opinions and both of us believe them to be right. So I think this is normal where you've just been stupid, but sure, carry on. <laughs> um, Bobby is of the opinion that uh, Rodney always had sent in the script for "There's a Rhino Loose in the City," and we'll, we'll just we'll just play that the whole conversation here now because you know you can make your own judgment. I'm happy if I'm wrong. Like I'm happy to concede if that is right, if that is right, but I just don't think that it works at all. So anyway, this, this is this is the quote as it goes. Yeah, but that's that's truthfully blunt, isn't it, Mister Stevens? <laughs> yeah. Yes, there are a lot of characters in it. Yes, but all vital to the theme. I thought. Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to write a film that not only dealt with the contemporary issues, but also challenged some of the more widely held beliefs of modern youth. <laughs> no, that's no problem. Because my brother knows where he can get us a rhino. And for me, the way this... I can't see that what Rodney is saying is a defending of the the rhino script that he sent that in. And that somehow my perception of it is that he sent him his own script about whatever it was, the artificial insemination, and then somehow some rhino Hail Mary comes up, which, don't get me wrong, is very, very thin and somewhat of a coincidence. But makes no sense. Your your story makes no sense. I can literally have the other half of that phone conversation for you. Your script is shit. There's too many characters in it. And Why would he then how the it? hell do we even how do the hell do we even get a rhino anyway? They're the three sentences that Mr Stevens says. But Rodney is like, 
excited in the fact that there is like a chance that a film could be made like there's something good going to come out of this but if someone's just said to you this is shit this is really shit we can't even do this you don't then in response go oh i'm really really excited this is really good i can get us a rhino he's already just kiboshed the whole thing saying it's terrible yeah but he's saying that one of the Roddy's then thinking, ah, oh, that's why you think it's shit because the rhino thing's undoable. But no, we I've actually got a solution to that, so this whole thing isn't such a terrible idea. I, I, I'm not sure you want to keep any of this in. I feel like I need to take my headphones off and have a long, hard think about what I've done <laughs> about. There, there is a possibility. You, re- you, you really want to take my word for this because your your possibility, or any other possibility, makes no sense. It's obvious. I'm amazed we're having this conversation. <laughs> I'm genuinely stunned by this conversation. I've closed my book. I'm done. <laughs> In fact, not only have I closed my book, I'm done. I've actually closed my book for the very last time. Because I finished that notebook, I'm going to have to start another one next week, which is really annoying because that notebook was the perfect size. It's a bit bigger than A5, and I really like the line spacing, and I know exactly kind of how much I'm meant to write. And so I'm really not looking forward to next week's episode where I have to find a new book. It is hard to reasonably argue the fact that I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) No shit. It's just a really weird change in pace of conversation. Not nearly as weird as it would have to be for yours to be right. Ah, it could be that he sent in both scripts and one was a reserve script. And he said, what about this other script? But Rodney's carrying on like he's still always talking about the same thing the whole time. Until that sudden change of pace. And he could have sent in could have sent in a second one but this is bad this is bad what's this other script all about we couldn't even get a rhino maybe sent in both scripts i think rodney is consistent throughout the whole way i mean it's not consistent that's my problem with it the fact it's completely inconsistent you feel free to go and die on that mountain (laughs) i'm gonna go and be on that slightly bigger correct mountain not legging stupid and uh when you're ready to join me you uh give me a shout Right, good. This is what i got to deal with anyway. I, I, I don't even know if I can keep this in or not. I don't know if this is good pod, bad pod. I don't know if you look like a dick, if I look stupid. What a horrible end to the episode. <laughs> I, I, I think all of the above. Anyway, so all that stuff aside, Video Nasty, what do you think of it, Rob? I liked it. It had some... It had quite a lot going on. It jumped about a bit. It it kind of had, although every all the storylines were connected, it felt more like it had A and B and C storylines more than most episodes because you kind of had Rodney making the film, but then all the videoing stuff, which is related but tangential, and then you had the whole um, uh, more Marlene and Boise story, which is kind of like a, a B slash C storyline. So I kind of liked all that and how all the other characters got a bit more world building. Um, and and there was plenty of really good laughs in it. Yeah, certainly a lot going on. The, the last two episodes have had a lot more going on and a, a lot more busier than than you know longest night. And I, I feel like I wrote a, quite a lot of notes for this actually. That I, I did give myself a bit more time for this episode, and I found myself pausing it and noticing a lot of small stuff on there. Um, there was, and I, I said I'm probably going to use this a bit a bit more moving forward because I think it's probably quite a good way to to analyse the episode, those those pen down moments where I am just enjoying it and during those moments probably just laughing out loud like you kind of have to let them play through. Yeah, this series has shaped up to be great and this belongs in there. I don't know, it feels like we we really have evolved from the earlier series now like all of these episodes are they all fit together and are very very different than series one two three and there is a very consistent thing about them and for my money funnier yeah i think there's 
a lot going on all of them obviously you've just got a lot you've got all these other subsidiary characters now which are just are there you know we know who Marlene is we know Boise is Trigger Mike and they've all kind of got lines and you just don't need to kind of prat about so much you, you can just throw them on have them have a couple of funny lines and walk away again which just gives you so many more options and and, var- and variety as well and I think that's done really well this episode apart from the vicar and I guess Amanda, if you want to call it her, but yeah. Uh, there's there's not really any of those um, like episode of the week characters that we so often have, like we had last week with Lisa. She's like a classic one one ep- although she's actually in a future episode, so that <laughs> that's uh, slightly fails my point. But she's essentially in a, a a one a one episode character. I, I think we'll start seeing uh, much less reliance on these one episode characters and more use of the extended cast as time goes on, as opposed to always just being... Because before, it felt like if Boise or Trigger were were having a main episode, they almost felt like episode of the week people. It's like if they were there, you didn't really need anywhere else, anyone else, sorry. Uh, where now, it's like you've got this great, lovely team of people to pull from, and then we'll bring in outside ant- um, antagonists and protagonists occasionally. Yeah, and I think that that then again fits into that dynamic you were saying last week or the the week before about having the main characters put into real life situations and now those situations are extended from what Dylan Rodney is experiencing but but how their friends are joined in with them on that and the discussions they have in the pub. I think we get a lot more Mm. sort of discussions like that in the pub and and the storylines reach out further to those characters and and all those characters have more involvement and and um and evolve as well so yeah it's it's, it is a really nice evolution nice cool well i think we can call that one uh that one stamped and we can look ahead to our next episode which is another big one i think it is keeping that in i thought you'd actually put it in rather than have me doing it but well, who wants to be a millionaire theme yeah okay that's great surely i thought it was a great little sting i mean i'm just gonna keep you talking it in because it was good <laughs> it's who wants to be a millionaire oh <laughs> god someone send help <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I actually said the name of the episode and still didn't make the connection. <laughs> still confident on that uh, telephone call uh, theory, Jay? Uh, I'm not drinking whiskey or do this again. I don't even feel drunk, but it's clearly affected my brain cells. So, what's the next episode he wants to be in? Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> um. Yeah, this is uh, this is the last episode in the series, no? It is. I'm already laughing at some of the gags in this episode. I think uh, it possibly has some of the best jokes of any episode so far. I don't know what it is about it, but I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I, I know exactly what scene you're talking about. And <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to watch it. it it's a great episode. It's... Um... It, it's a, it's an emotional episode as well, but as always, a very funny episode, and I can't wait. It's also going to be the last of our half an hour episodes. So every episode after next week is going to be Billy Big Boys. We're going to go on to some hour longs, an hour and a half, and then from then on, it's all forty five minutes. So strap in if you've struggled to get through our half an hour, well, our hour episodes, then uh, just give up now because they're going to get longer. <laughs> It's all down here from here, people. <laughs> all right. Uh, last thing, as always, um, it's going to be to the music. Um, I'll give you some a little guess on this. See if there's any thing that you could think of that might work. Well, I know the thing that I was thinking of, which is not actually in the episode at all, but in that young ones episode that we keep talking about, there is a musical, you know, intermission that they always have, where they sing the song that has video nasty in the chorus um although it's not the song isn't called video nasty it's just nasty right yeah yeah 
by the damned. By, by the damned. By the damned. Yeah. So that that was the main one I was thinking about, but I couldn't think of anything relevant for the episode. So I, I thought just because of some of the more bluer and lewd natures of the episode, it would be quite fun to revisit something quite famous, and that is some famed 80s porn music. So some real nice corny Jesus. saxophone. And uh, <laughs> I just loved it. I don't know why it came on. I searched for it, and I found this, this song that was like, a, I don't know, genuine 80s songs like pornographic songs and it was just absolute tunes and then one of the comments on it what made me roll off there was a couple of like really cliche lines on there like um did you order pizza with extra italian sausage <laughs> well, well that was not a direction i thought the end of this was going to take but fair enough that is your uh, prerogative um, so yeah, thanks for joining us as always. Last episode of Series Five. Who wants to be a millionaire next week? Yeah, cheers, Bob. Thanks. Cheers for the whiskey, and I'll speak to you soon. Always a pleasure, Jay. Until next time. Thanks very much, everyone. All right, bye. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook forward slash Only Fools Brothers, or on Twitter we're at Only Fools Bros. Or if you want to send us a longer message, you can email us at onlyfoolsbrothers at gmail.com. Also really appreciate it if you could give us some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks very much. Goodbye.